0: In Spider- man Far From Home, Tom Holland's Peter Parker deals with the aftermath of Avengers Endgame by not dealing with it. He takes a class trip to Europe, attempting to leave his great power and his great
1: responsibility behind. But of course, it is not that simple. In his whistle-stop tour of picturesque European cities, he meets up with Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury, and a host of elemental monsters reeking as he probably guessed, Havoc. And of course, we've got more of lovable classmates like Zendaya and Jacob Batalon. I'm Stephen Thompson.
0: And I'm Glenn Weldon. We're talking this latest Spider-Man outing and its implications for the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, plus what's making us happy on this episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Also joining us is All Things Considered movie editor Mallory Yu. Hey, Mallory. Hey there. It's becoming a habit and I like it. And finally, we're always happy to have writer and critic Chris Klimak on hand to talk matters superheroic and superhero adjacent. Welcome, Chris. With great podcasting comes great responsibility, Glenn. You nailed it. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to say at the top it is impossible to talk about the events of Spider Man Far From Home without at least referencing the events and indeed the ending of Avengers Endgame. So if you find yourself in that vanishingly small cohort of people who care about the MCU, but haven't yet seen Endgame, skip this episode and come back later. Alright, so Stephen we'll start with you. Uh, first up, what did you think of the film, and how do you think it stands as a sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming?
1: Well, Spider-Man Homecoming I greatly enjoyed in part because it leaned heavily into being a teen movie, and it was as much a teen comedy as a superhero Romp. Mm-hmm. This one for me, it has that kind of standard sequel drift, right where it takes the characters you know and love and puts them in fancy new settings and places and takes them across Europe and and you know and has them have new adventures outside Takes of, them
2: out of Georgia, takes which the, is kind of unique for a Marvel movie.
1: Exactly. And and as such, it's got a little bit of that sequel drift, a little bit of sequel bloat. I did appreciate the many, many elements of this movie that function as meta commentary on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Spider-Man's place within it mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about who will replace Iron Man who is the next Iron Man and and there's stuff about CGI exhaustion that I I appreciated as an as an audience member there's even a line about no one caring about casualties if there are heroes mm-hmm. uh, which I I really I appreciated this is a very very self-aware movie As a whole, though, I came out of it bubbling less than I did at Homecoming, which I just was such a fizzy and enjoyable movie. This one felt a little bit more the way I feel coming out of a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, where it's like, that was pretty fun. And then I have to like scramble not to forget every minute of it. Right.
0: It doesn't stick. Mallory, what do you think?
3: Same. It didn't leave much of an impression on me. Like I saw it a week ago now and thinking about it last night I was like I don't remember (laughs) very much of this I felt like the stakes never felt quite real and the superhero aspect or the superhero plot just felt kind of dutiful and like we have to do this we have to go big and we have to have these extravagant CGI fights and those were fun to watch I it's not like I didn't enjoy the movie I had fun while I was watching it but when I left the theater it was just kind of Nah.
0: Now, Chris, you reviewed the film for NPR, and I got the sense reading your review you were a little bit cooler on it than some of the other sort of nerd press, or at least even mainstream press, about this film.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was a little cooler than I would be had I been watching this movie in 2020 or 2021. Right. You know, I liked it. I think it would have been appropriate oh, to sure. take a pause after Endgame. Um, there's also the problem that these actors are uh, all, with the exception of the great Angori Rice, who plays Betty, one of Peter's classmates, are all in their early 20s already, and mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to play teenagers credibly for for very long. I think it is a big strength of this current iteration of Spider-Man that that Tom Holland is the the youngest of the many many Spider actors that we've had in this uh, in this century. The one who seems the most plausibly 16 years old. I think he was 21 when this this sequel, when Far From Home, was shot. So yeah, I mean, I I like it. I like the the big superhero bloat battley stuff far less than I like the just being a, a teenager on holiday in in Europe yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked it. I would have liked it a lot more two years from now. I hear what you're saying about the distinction between the, the teenage romping,
0: you know, the Agent Cody Banks, if looks could kill vibe of just teenagers <laughs> in Europe and the, the superhero stuff. I'm going to push back a little bit because this is Mysterio uh, involved here, who in the comics, at least, is one of my favorite uh, Spidey characters because he is so goofy. He's just the <laughs> goofiest character and his reputation is sort of being sort of a try hard and failing all the time. He's got a goldfish bowl on his head.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's purple and green
0: <laughs> just from a design perspective. He's just he's just, he's just just fantastic. And I thought Gyllenhaal was great. I really thought he was having a lot of fun with this. Later on in the film, he gets to play a little bit uh, bigger and broader than he does at the beginning. I think that's a, a great thing. And for me, the kids stuff had this, and it's not just because of the presence of Zendaya, but it had a kind of a Disney Channel tweeness mm-hmm. to it that I was that I wasn't quite jiving with. It, it felt a little too cute, a little too arch. But I, I will say that what this film really does is show us where the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe is going next, and it certainly seems smaller than, yeah. than it did mm-hmm. before. It, I mean, inevitably, the universe was the stakes, and now it's individual cities
1: and even little you know, landmarks. It's smaller, right? And that's very much by design. Running through this movie, there are several references, and, and throughout the history of this Tom Holland Spider-Man character, he's like the B-team, right? Yeah. He says, like, I'm your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I can't replace Tony Stark. I'm just off here in the B-leagues training to be a better superhero. And the movie feels like it's doing the same thing. And I, I gotta say, like, I appreciate that the stakes here are smaller. I don't need universe-level stakes. It took 20, was it 22 movies? <laughs> no one knows.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Feige doesn't know. <laughs> I, I, you know t- phase t- six? What is yeah. this? Yeah,
1: and and, <laughs> this like, phase four? and to be honest, I mean, I really agree with Chris. I could have used a break mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. this entire world. I could have used a break from references to Tony Stark on the on the big screen. Yeah. This felt Agreed. way too soon just as a cinema experience. Like, I like the way Endgame ended. You didn't have a post credit sequence. You actually got to, like, breathe for a minute with the story in a certain, kind of locked in, in one place. And this immediately having to rev that up again. And by the way, for the love of God, there have been two dozen of these movies. Half the crowd walked out of the theater the end and then just people just leave the theater like it is a Marvel movie there are two post credit sequences one of which is crucial don't walk out as soon as the movie ends unless you've decided never again to see another Marvel movie
3: Steven it's funny that you mention it's meta because in my notes I was like oh this movie is really meta Um, it is smaller and the movie feeling smaller and more personal versus the big bombast of Endgame or the movies that came sort of before it it's an attempt to signal to audiences that things are going to be a little smaller. The tension and the stakes aren't going to be universe ending. they may be going to be world ending or city ending. I feel like Marvel's trying to skirt that expectation post Endgame of like the MCU has to be bigger and more bombastic and more trippy and more CGI than the last movie Does it work? Maybe. If it's going to be smaller, I need to feel emotionally invested in these characters. And while I did like Tom Holland and Zendaya and Jacob Batalon, I just didn't really feel a connection to the characters. And I think if we had had a little bit of time, a breather, maybe a break, like everyone is saying here, maybe I would have felt more excited to see them again. Huh.
2: Yeah, the emphasis on their personal lives and their their more human-scale problems is what distinguished Marvel in the 60s. I mean, that was what was new about it 50 years ago. Right. right? You know, the DC was doing all the cosmic stories at that time. Right. So it's probably instinctive for them to want to get back to that.
0: I do want to talk a little bit about Tom Holland, his performance, because, you know, this was the thing that I reacted to most strongly in Homecoming. Here, I still I still love this kid. But, Chris, in your review, you counted the number of Spider-Man-centric films there have been.
2: <laughs> and that number was eight? Yes, there there have been eight films with Spider-Man in the title yeah. since uh, 2002. And that's including in, Into the Spider-Verse again. So we're not counting the Avengers ones that he's in.
0: We're not counting the Avengers ones that he's in. But, like, I do think the long shadow of Into the Spider-Verse falls very heavily over this film. Mm-hmm. There is so much Into the Spider-Verse did unconsciously, and we've talked about this, that film a lot, but that felt, it was kind of straining a little bit here.
2: Yes, no?
1: I agree completely. I mean, this is the third movie to feature Spider-Man prominently in, what, eight months? Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, six months. <laughs> <laughs> since, since December, that's right. That
1: is a lot of Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, but he's so charming. And what I missed was the quipping. Like, yeah, Spider-Man, yeah. Spider-Man is supposed to quip, supposed to say funny things, as he's doing things. There's a little cockiness to the character, which Tom Holland, he's not vibrating on that frequency.
1: Yeah, I I was actually a little surprised by that, and I expected Glenn for us to come in here and have this discussion and you and I would both be sitting here like needs more jokes. Yeah. Cuz mm-hmm. I did feel like this movie needed <laughs> more jokes. And and a lot of times in past Spider-Man iterations it's a little bit like Deadpool, right? Where like he's wide he's wisecracking while swinging on right. webs or fighting mm-hmm. or whatever. Like he's and, and the character's covered in a mask. You can loop as much You
2: can keep much, ADRing that uh, long after the film is in theaters. You can yeah, do just...
1: so much punch up when the when the character's <laughs> mouth is covered. Yep. And I was surprised that there wasn't a little bit more of that in this one. Once it gets into the heavy plot machinations of buildings getting leveled, there's less kind of, oh my gosh, I'm just a kid as yeah. he's as he's swinging around. Yeah. I,
2: I mean, I wonder if it means anything that that where the, the quips have traditionally gone in Spider-Man battles, where he's saying something insulting about the villain's costume or something like that. What Holland keeps giving us is these uh, jokes about age. You know, saying that, like, he'll always say, oh, you know, I love Led Zeppelin when ACDC is playing, or Mm -hmm. have you seen that really old movie, The Empire Strikes Back? Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) so that's, it's not quite the same uh, level of Verve? Verve. Verve? Verve. Elan. <laughs> Elan. Mm-hmm. Elan, yes. <laughs> did, did I use that word? I thought
3: I did. <laughs> or, or does it feel like he's huh. focusing on age or the, these jokes are more, you know, age-centric because they're trying to emphasize how young he is? Like, they're really saying, hey, you all old guard comic fans, this isn't your Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. And it's very much not the Peter Parker that I knew from comics. Right. Um, I don't know.
0: In defense of this movie, I will say that a lot of the humor comes from the latter half of the film, which we cannot discuss. uh, And it revolves around things that the Jake Gyllenhaal character is doing, including my favorite line of the film, which is, yes, Janet, I still need the cape.
1: Yeah. One thing I did appreciate in this movie, especially late... There's a lot of CGI in this film. I did appreciate there are several points where that CGI doesn't look like all the other CGI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where they're messing with the look of what you see in movie after movie after movie. I did appreciate the little hints at like new frontiers in visuals. One thing I really appreciated, uh, setting aside its other flaws about the Doctor Strange movie, was that it looked unlike all these other films Mm -hmm. and I appreciated that there were moments in this where where you goggle your eyes a little bit looking at it it doesn't look familiar to you anymore and I think that's one thing I really hope we can look forward to in more of these movies
0: yeah tell us what you think about spider-man find us on facebook at facebook.com slash pchh or tweet at us at pchh when we come back it will be time to talk about what's making us happy this week so come right back
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchised network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings year after year, home after home. All that more they do, that's Home Services. Start your home search at BerkshireHathawayHS.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Capital One Saver card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on checking out that new French restaurant and 4% on bowling with your friends. You'll also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% on all other purchases. Now when you go out, you cash in. Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply.
0: Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's time for our favorite segment of this and every week. What's making us happy this week? Stephen Thompson, what's making you happy this week?
1: For the last several days in my household, I have only heard one tune sung over and over again by the great and good Katie Presley with a shout out to the Claire Stapleton newsletter. I have heard the following jingle. Jessica hit me one time.
4: For us, now there is a personal car that has exactly what we're looking for. Taurus shape and the feel we've never seen before
0: for all of us who demand excellence in design and function for all of us who will not compromise ford listened ford created taurus for us
1: for us That is a 1986 commercial introducing the Ford Taurus. Finally, thank you, Ford, for bringing us a car that looks like a toolbox. (laughs) (laughs) The ugliest car you've ever seen. I miss... A time when commercials were delivered with absolute unironic fervency. Mm -hmm. Just above all else, I appreciate commitment in my (laughs) my advertisements. And I appreciate the punctuating of almost every syllable. (laughs) (laughs) Now there is an American car that (laughs) (laughs) looks... But anyway, uh, you can. Uh, we'll throw a link to that in the in our newsletter. Mm-hmm. You can find it on YouTube at First Ford Taurus Car Commercial 1986.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Stephen. That is an unusual pick, but I <laughs> buy it, Mallory. What is making you happy this week?
3: Okay, so what's making me happy is an anime from the 90s, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which just appeared on Netflix. Uh
0: Uh-huh, yeah, it did.
3: Basically, what Neon Genesis Evangelion is, it's a show that's set in Japan 15 years after a catastrophic event known as the Second Impact. And it follows a 14-year-old boy named Shinji who has to pilot a giant mecha robot known as Evangelion. And along with other 14-year-olds, In their own Evangelion robots, fight giant mysterious creatures called angels. And I love it. It's easy to see why it's one of the great animes. I'm having so much fun watching it. The animation is gorgeous um, and effective. The fight scenes are tense. It's also a really fun, goofy show that's like hidden in this very serious show about PTSD and trauma and apocalypse there are a few things i could do without be prepared for objectifying shots of women throughout the series which i could do without but i love the show and I've had the theme song stuck in my head for the last two weeks since I started watching this. Um, It still bangs.
0: Mallory, we are simpatico here. (laughs) The subject of uh, this week's Pop Culture Happy Hour newsletter may or may not overlap with what you just Uh, talked about. I love this series so much because I went into it expecting fighting robots and monsters and I'm getting emo. I am getting mm-hmm. so much psychology. I am getting so much reluctant hero sadness and richness. Stephen, you would
1: love it. I'm just, I'm <laughs> just
3: sitting over here salivating. Like give me, give us the name Dad's of the show again. Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yes. Uh,
1: by the time we meet again, <laughs> I will have, I, we will have a conversation, I'm sure.
3: Yes. Find it on Netflix and come yell about it with me on Twitter.
2: Thank you very much, Mallory. Chris Klimek, what is making you happy this week? Uh, what is making me happy this week, Glenn, is history Lessons via the one dollar bin of your local record store. Jess Reedy. You are about to relive a very
0: important day in the life of the United States. July 4th,
2: 1970. <laughs> the place did someone Washington say banger <laughs> uh, you, you know me you know how much i love old records i was surprised to to find this one a few months ago it is a soundtrack album from Honor America Day which was Independence Day 1970 an event staged mostly by the Nixon administration via their their functionaries J Willard Marriott and the Reverend Billy Graham Listening to this this old record has been a surreal experience. Uh, as has the discovery that you can get it on Apple Music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should you, I'm I'm sure it's been streamed tens and tens of times. Uh, <laughs> the title of the record is "Proudly They Came," ellipsis, to honor America. The lineup of of this album and this Independence Day concert, really, just all the names that would occur to you if I said. Pop culture, 1970. Bob Hope, uh-huh. Jack Benny, mm-hmm. Dinah Shore, <laughs> Glenn Campbell. I wrote a piece about this in the Washington Post this yeah, week. You if did. you want to, you want to find out more, you can uh, you can check that out. But uh, that is what is making me happy. The just surreal history lessons via. Dirty old records. Excellent. We will link to that
0: in the uh, newsletter. What's making me happy this week is Wizards Unite. Now, it's a Harry Potter phone game built on the framework of Pokemon Go, Mm -hmm. which was itself built on the framework of another game. It's Mm -hmm. very, 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 very similar, uh, only instead of catching magical animals to pit them in gladiatory-like blood sport (laughs) for your Caligula-like amusement. Tell us
3: how you really (laughs) feel about Uh, Pokemon, Glenn.
0: you, (laughs) you, uh, You help Harry Potter and his friends rescue magical artifacts and beloved characters from Bad spells, I think? I'm not exactly clear. The story elements of this game are uh, a little fuzzy. Uh, It's been successful, not nearly the phenomenon that Pokemon Go was, It's needlessly complicated. It involves inventory management, my least favorite thing about games ever. I mean,
1: Pokemon Go does too.
0: Sure. And it is also just like Pokemon Go. It's repetitive. There are different categories of missions that spring up as you walk around your city and you do have to play it in the city, (laughs) Uh, just like Pokemon Go. And I don't know if it's just the most common category or if my commute to work is doomed, but my commute is very heavy with Ministry of Magic missions, which is just rescuing the same ministry official and ministry (laughs) administrator and doing something with the newspaper kiosk over and over again. But then I thought, you know, maybe that's meta because in the Harry Potter canon, the ministry represents faceless bureaucracy. It's the most mundane aspect of the Harry Potter world. So maybe it's supposed to be boring. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that makes sense. But I am having a blast for one reason, and this is a thing that Pokemon Go does not do, which is that the game has licensed the likenesses of actors from the films. So, I mean, if you're in the middle of your commute and you're on the red line and it's stuck and you can get a signal... And an imperfectly rendered version of a beloved character actress, Miriam Margolis, turns up on your phone and you can rescue her from a tuber or whatever the hell, that is a good start to the day. Mm-hmm. I have not yet seen Emma Thompson. I have not yet to seen a kind of janky Maggie Smith yet, but I live in hope. It is uh, repetitive and it is obsessive, but I'm in uh, with both feet. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at G.H. Weldon. You can follow Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can follow Mallory at Mallory underscore U. And you can follow Chris at C.T. Klimic. You can follow our producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica underscore Reedy. And our producer emeritus and music director, Mike Katzif, at Mike Katzif, that's K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides the music you are bobbing your head to right now, or maybe you're not. I don't know your life. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thank 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 you. And thank you all for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. And if you have a second and you are so inclined, please subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash popculturenewsletter. And we will see you all next week.
4: Hear the stories behind the songs that rally communities large and small across America. Listen and subscribe to All Songs Considered through Line and Alt Latino for a closer look at songs from NPR's American Anthem series.